And one of the things that I find, Christopher, is that a lot of the organisations that I work with, when they are in crisis, it always leads back to people and organisational culture. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lynn, and I'm your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. Make sure you're subscribed so you can hear more from awesome leaders around the world on the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. No matter how you slice and dice your organization, no matter what situation you're finding your company in, we cannot, absolutely cannot forget as leaders that it always comes back to people. And I am baffled at how often that organizations and leaders forget about that. I got to talk to my friend, Tony McClellan, who is passionate and dedicated to navigating leaders through crisis and change management, specifically around organizational culture. Tony's work is solution-focused using human-centered approaches that assesses behavior, learning, and environment to create the best results. She's also a champion for equity, diversity, and inclusion practices with her specialist knowledge in care, education, criminal justice, and empowerment. So let's dive on into this interview. Hey, Tony, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you very much, Christopher. It's lovely to be here. Absolutely. Well, I mean, right now, um, you know, I want to take a bit of a detour because just before we hit record, we were talking about the power of leaders and, you know, who actually holds the power. And right now we're seeing a really big shift or at least a shift in mindset around leadership in our societies, in our communities, in our organizations. Uh, so before we go into anything else further, let's explore first around leadership and the power of leading, especially right now in our societies, who actually holds the power and what it means for you, uh, just leadership and, and talk about leadership in general. Okay, well, thank you very much for that opportunity, Christopher. I think it's really interesting. It's really interesting times at the moment because what I'm seeing is that that in terms of leaders, the word leader, what does that actually mean um, now? Because I've seen that that there could be a leader in an organization that's doing great on performance, doing really, really well, but because of their belief system or their values, you know, the people have moved towards having them moved out. So, you know, or their clients or their customers are pushing towards moving them out. So I'm really looking at, you know, the leader in that context, but also where does the power sit? Yeah. You know, yeah. where does the power sit? Is a leader just the title? Do you, you know, so that's kind of where I'm, I'm thinking, I, you know, there's so many shifts, there's so many, so many shifts and so many incidents that have been happening that um, really you just need to be questioning because there is the, the people themselves have more autonomy. They have more autonomy and they have more power. And I think that because of the political times, there's been lots of voting, lots of political things going on. The voices of the people are counting and it's a, a time now where it matters. If it didn't matter before, it really does matter now. And I think that there's been a shift in the way that people are thinking. There's a bit of herd mentality in the way that people have been doing things and the way that they have been done previously. And I think that now there's less of the herd mentality and there's more questioning around why are we doing this? This isn't right. So for me, I think 
just in response to your question, it's really about what is the role of the leader? Because they don't necessarily hold all the power. They mm -hmm. are the leader, but they don't always hold the power. Yep. So it's almost as if the power goes through the leader. Yes, that's a really good way to define it. I mean, we, we, we've grown up in this society where leadership is autonomous with power, right? And control. I think the control aspect is, is that, that piece that we, we closely align with leadership. Right, as someone having control and authority over a group or absolutely group of people. because if you look at it this way, Christopher, you look at it from the point of people talk about leadership top down, but actually it's bottom up. Yeah, you know, just from that perspective, I've seen now the way that people used to recruit, recruitment has changed. The, the way that people used to recruit, they used to recruit in such a way that. It was the chief execs and the top people that done the interviews and they made a decision and that was that. Now it's like you've got to have a couple of customers on the board. You've got to have a couple of potential clients on the board. You've got to have somebody from HR and you've got whole teams yep. involved in this process now to make a decision. Yep. I'm seeing more, you know, the, the, we have appraisal systems. You know, so the chair of the board might do a performance management situation on a chief exec. And now we're moving more towards a 360 assessment yep. process. Yep. And yeah. I know, yeah, I think, I again, it's about collaboration and it's about getting everyone kind of involved. And I think that that's what true leadership is, is they're, they're bringing in all of the stakeholders who need who have a either decision or a um, I'm, I'm forgetting the analogy, but they they have something in the game. Oh, they have skin in the game, right? So they they you know whoever has skin in the game, they they need to be able to bring it up, and um, and sometimes that that's to our own detriment, right? Because sometimes we have we think we have skin in the game, but we don't necessarily need to always chime in on everything. Absolutely. And I, uh, absolutely. And I want to pick up on there yeah. because I've seen some, some leaders that are doing this process very well involving people, but actually the leader still makes, needs to make an ultimate decision mm -hmm. because otherwise you're not going to reach a consensus decision, you know? So it's knowing when to get people involved as well. You've got to kind of be able to measure that. So they don't have to be involved in everything all of the time. So it's about finding the balance. And so, you know, I've seen people that, that haven't quite got it right. And I've seen people that, that have got it really, really well. So, yeah. so really this whole bottom up thing, um, it's, it, I've seen a lot, a lot more of that. And uh, I think that that's definitely going to be the way to go. And, uh, you know, a leader is really kind of, in a sense, a funnel. Yep. To, yeah, I would completely agree with you. That's how I approach it. I mean, that's why I, I've called myself an employee advocate, right? Is because I want to be able to give voices to people who aren't traditionally heard. And those yeah. are usually, you know bottom level, entry level, quote unquote, the dregs of an organization, right? That they don't get to have their voices heard. And 
you see that happening more with a lot of organizations where the employees are saying like, hey, no, this is not okay. We're going to band together to be able to voice our concerns together. Or, you know, that's why unions are important. That's why you see things like in our um, societies right now where groups of people are banding together to get their agenda pushed through, right? When we look at things like the Black Lives Matters movement, that's, uh, you know, something where you had millions of people banding together to say, we need change, we demand change today. And that's something that leaders need to take stock of and be able to think about like, okay, well, now that we have all of these people, we have to push that agenda through. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I agree with everything that you've just said. And it's just a whole change of mindset. And I think that, you know, what 2020 has kind of shown us is that nothing is set. Very true. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Very true. Nothing is set. Yeah. There's no, we've always done it this way, or this is the way that works, because actually it's almost like 2020 has set the, re- it's, it's almost like setting the reset button. Yes. Going back to the default settings. <laughs> you, no, it, it's a little bit like that, isn't it? You know, you press the default settings and it goes back to the factory mode. So it's all, it's, that's what it's about at the moment. We create the next lot of settings to move the agenda forward. And we've got to keep our fingers on the pulse in terms of what's actually happening and make sure that we get it right, whatever is right, moving forwards. And in just coming back to what you said about organizations, you know, and, and people wanting to have their voices heard, yes, we must create more space for these people to have their voices heard. However, We've also got to remember that there is consultation. So before it gets to that point, consult. We don't have to ask their opinions on everything, but when we have got some opinions, make a decision. They had an opportunity to input to that. And it's when they don't, they are not given an opportunity to input into that, that you have the majority of the difficulties, you know? So that's kind of, because I do, I do lots of work in my, in my organization. I do lots of work around crisis management. And one of the things that I find, Christopher, is that a lot of the organizations that I work with, when they are in crisis, it always leads back to people and organizational culture. It always, always one way, if there's not enough money coming in, It's because you haven't realigned your staffing and your customers or your clients or whatever it is. Do you you see what I mean? It's like if you've got mass, um, you know, lots of people that are off sick or high staff turnover. It's about how you treat your people. If, If you've got loads of people off sick, you know, you need to get them back to work. It's about how you're gonna accommodate these people People are the central part of all of it, you know, and and that's, and and it always comes back. We can't get away from that. Well, we can't. And that's the thing that drove me to do what I'm doing now. And I know that that's something that drives you as well is, is organizations and a lot of companies and a lot of managers, management, they forget about people. It's mind boggling. So, so, you know, on that note, I mean, what does it mean to you then to lead people first? To lead people first? Well, I think that um, we have to be led by the people. You know, I think that that's really what it's about. You, you know, ultimately, you're in that position because you know what to do 
when the people have given you your, you know, the direction, mm-hmm. whether it's clients or your staff, you get that information. You're the one that makes that ultimate decision because you're in that position. But don't be thinking that you can you can be doing this in isolation. It doesn't work because gone are the days where those leaders can sit in their offices and have stacks of paper and not interact with their staff. Gone are those days. Yeah. I spend 80% of my time. I, I mean, I'm very much a, um, a Pareto rule person, 80-20 rule, 20% in, 80% out. By the time you put your 100 in, you get a 400% return. So I've decided that I put 80% of my time into people. Yeah. Because then they give me 100%. And so if I put 80% of my time into all of these people, they give me, I get 100% return on each one of them. Yeah. And, and so that's how I kind of look at it. And if there's any difficulties or, or whatever it is, yeah, that's, that's really the answer for me. And I think that, um, I think listening, listen, and you listen with your eyes as well as your ears. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, because uh, people kind of say to me, well, Tony, can you come in and help us out or send me a stack of paper? I've got a problem in my organization. Here's a strategy. Can you sort it out? And it's like, well, actually, I am more likely to get a better answer in terms of what the problem is for you in your organization. If I come in to your organization and have a couple of conversations, Mm -hmm. sit in a couple of meetings with your managers and just observe, see who the movers and shakers are, because it's likely that they're not in the big offices, but they are in the back of the staff room. Once I've just observed and had a couple of conversations, I'm more likely to put my finger on the pulse in terms of what's going on in your organization. That is going to tell me a whole lot more than reading a thousand page document. Can't agree more. Yeah. There's a huge misconception, or I wouldn't say misconception. I would say disconnect between what a manager perceives the problem to be versus what the problem actually is as well as what employees think the problem is. Like those are three very different things is the different perceptions versus what is actually happening. And um, it's up to good leaders or people like you to really come in and be able to say, Hey, what, what's truly going on here? Let's figure this out because it, it's a lot, it goes a lot deeper than what we think it is. Right. Is, hey, we're, we're having a ton of mistakes or we're losing clients or all of those things, things like that, those issues that pop up in organizations. But those are just symptoms of something that is rooted deeper than what a manager perceives. Absolutely. And do you know what I, what I believe, just based on what you said there, Christopher, is that it's about the leader looking within first. Mm-hmm looking at themselves first, because as a leader, a lot of them believe that they have to be right with everything, that they can't show their true vulnerability, that they can't be wrong, that they can't be all of these things. And the pressure just mounts up that if somebody says, well, do you want to change that? They're all protective over it because it's almost like you're questioning their ability. When actually, if something just needs adjusting or correcting, you're not questioning their ability to do something. Yep. You're saying it just needs adjusting or correcting. <laughs> do you, yeah. you see what I mean? And I think this is where the ego gets caught up. And 
it, it becomes really complex. And so therefore they, they push the problem away from them. And because they're pushing it away from them, it doesn't get solved at the grassroots level. It doesn't get, get solved at the heart of the problem. Do you, do you see what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's kind of like, um, you know, you've got to do a 360 in terms of what's going on all around. And one of the things that I do, and I do it very well, I must say too, is I try to focus on, if I go into an organization, I don't really necessarily focus on what that organization is doing. I'm focusing on the leader initially what they're about, what their purpose is, what their mission is, what their values are, how they think, how they learn, what type of behavior they've got. Is it an embedded learned behavior? Is it a default behavior? Because when I understand that leader, I can understand how we've got to that problem. Mm-hmm. It, it all starts with the leaders. It really does. And that, again, that's why I have this, that's why I have this podcast is because the leaders in organizations or wherever they are in, in organizations, they are the ones that have the biggest effect on employee on the employee experience. But the other side of it as well is that, um, I mean, especially now there's so much about, you know, let's do this training, let's do this training, let's go in and train these teams, let's go in and train these leaders. But my thing is that training's great. But actually, my thing is, is that training isn't going to solve all of our problems, because if it's if you identify the behavior, it could be an embedded learned behavior from they was 10 years old. A six week training program is not going to sort that out. It's not going to correct that. Do you you see what I mean? And I hear this. If people want to change, they can change. It doesn't necessarily work like that. And, and for me, I just want people to really kind of get to get to grips and really understand the breadth of each individual. Yeah. Their knowledge is different. Their experience is different. Their behaviors are very different. They manifest in different ways. Some have special needs. Some don't. Some like to learn on the PC. Some others don't want a, and they need a one-to-one. And everybody is different and we can't, we need to move away from a blanket approach, you know, and the only way that you can move away from a blanket approach is by getting to know your employees. So CEOs, you know, top staff need to be more visible. Anytime I've left an organization, you know, the last few days, yeah, you would think that I'd be in the office doing all this handover stuff, getting this ready. But the truth of the matter is, Chris, Christopher, is that, that work will never be done. So do you know yeah. what I do? I spend the last few days out on the floor with the teams, with the people, with the customers, with the clients. Because at least I know that what I'm leaving with them is going to replicate. There's a ripple effect that's going to, that I'm leaving something with them. Me cooped up in the office for three days doing handover documents means nothing <laughs> i mean don't get me wrong i do hand over, yeah but i'm just saying i'm just saying like you know it, that work is never going to be done there's always going to be something left to hand yeah. over yes let's just kind of not try and rush it and let's do it properly but actually just by investing again in the people and remembering what it is and why you're doing this work yeah the 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 relationships that you build 
and the emotion that you invoke or evoke evoke in people <laughs> is much more powerful than the work that you actually end up accomplishing. Unless like you're, I would say there's a few exceptions where you're, you know, making like societal changes. Well, I, can, I can give you a really good example yeah. if, if I've got time. Yeah, got of time. course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, so I was called into an organization and I was setting up um, a, a separate project. So I was, I was an, an associate in that capacity. And what happened is, is that um, I went in and the person that was leading, you know, said to me, well, actually, I need some help here. I need, you know, some, these, these people, they need some management. The, the, um, their appraisals were due for review and um, they didn't have anybody to do those appraisals. That person that took that role wasn't in. Yeah, they wasn't available. They'd left the role. So the, the person asked me if I could do those appraisals. There was about 70 that needed doing and I had about three or four weeks left to go in this particular project capacity. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, look, I can either do what you wanted me to do, which was very paper-based, or I can do that. I can't do the two. And she was, mm, uh, 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 uh. and I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the decision and I'm going to leave the paper and I'm going to concentrate on the 70 staff. Yeah. Because the way that I see it is I can do the paper. I can take the paper and I can work on that from home. We can extend that by a couple of weeks for me to get the paperwork done. So let me work with the staff here now. Yeah. Yep. If I concentrate on all of the paper, all that's going to happen is, is I'm just going to spend all that time locked in the office Policy strategies, it's going to sit on the shelf. It's going to gather dust. Who, who's going to be looking at those things? They yep. should be, but they're not. So I would much rather speak to 70 staff. And I tell you what, it was a marathon four weeks. Uh, the PA booked them in 30 minutes a time. And I just went through them. I thought, if I can, if I can give a little bit of fire to each one of 30, 70 people in that 30 minutes then I'm leaving something behind. I'm yeah. leaving some fire behind. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Because this is the first time that they've probably had somebody pay attention to, you know, but I was in a position where I thought, well, actually, because I don't know them, would it be unfair for me to pass them and pass, let their appraisals pass? Do you see what I mean? Because it's mm -hmm. like, well, you don't know me from Adam. So how are you going to judge me? Well, do you know what? I went in with the intention that, Everyone was going to pass unless I had evidence otherwise, because I knew what the questions were that I wanted to ask them. And I knew that if I asked them particular things and they answered, I was satisfied. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was the approach that I went in with. And there was only one or I think there was two, one or two that didn't. And I needed to go and explore a little bit further that I wasn't satisfied with. But on the whole, most of the people went through and that was that was fine. But, you know, it really made me think about the fact that those 70 people had 30 minutes of my time. And I really focused on giving them some, in, in, empowering them, inspiring them. One of them had um, a master's degree in business administration and yet was in a role that was, was less than that. Mm -hmm. do, do you see what I mean? And so... When they had their targets, they had their targets that were very simple targets. And I'm thinking, good Lord, your master's degree was more complicated than this. 
Yeah. You, you understand what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, so they were all excited about the fact that they'd done their target and were showing me. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm excited for you because you're excited, but actually re- you're not really challenged here. Yeah. You've not been given the space to grow. And so for me, it was really, really telling. And, you know, that was years ago and people are still in touch with me now. They message me, etc. And because of the relationship that was built. So that's, that's just an example of, you know, investing in the staff. If you give them back, then something, they will give something back. Yeah, that, that investment is something that is key. We have to keep investing in people and investing in the relationships that we have with people. And trust is something that's very important there. But before I get into that, I wanted to share a bit of praise from Sandra Harrison, who wanted to share some words. Oh. And she said, a few words to sum up Tony would be motivational, passionate, and kind. Tony stands for inclusion. She believes that her, that arrangements should be in place for anyone with special needs. So I wanted to share that with you. And Thank also, you. Wow. And, one, and one more from, from Maxine Willicks, who said, Tony has the rare ability to make people feel included, valued, and safe. It's a rare ability, I believe, that is the fairy dust she sprinkles to the world. Oh, thank you. So you really done some some checking out on me. You really done some homework <laughs> and checked out, went to a few people. So that's great. I oh, mean, yeah. but well, again, it, it it speaks to your your ability again to build those relationships and build that trust. And again, going back to that that topic that I know that we want to both get into is trust is such a big thing in organizations right? And trust is such a big thing in relationships. And that's something that is applicable to no no matter where you are in the world, no matter what company you are in, no matter who you're interacting with, trust is very important um, everywhere. And you recently had a presentation on trust and leadership and how it can really flip on ahead. So can you talk about that uh, and just share, talk about trust and and the importance of trust? Well, I think I think what I will say is that um, in terms of because I think the the presentation that you might be speaking about is the humans first um, EMEA call that I lead on a Monday. And one of the things that we we looked at was um, because I was facilitating the call with a colleague, Andreas, and, you know, we were kind of looking at global experiences, because one of the things that I'm really keen to do, especially now in this current climate, is really capture the experiences of people around the globe. And because there's people from different parts of the the world on that call, it was a good opportunity to do that. And so uh, some some statistics were shared around how quickly people trusted the government and then stopped trusting the government over a period of three months, statistics, and measured against their trust in people. So one of the the things that came through was the fact that people trusted each other more than they trusted the government. But really, just to kind of take it down a level, rather than putting the word government in there, let's just put it as leaders, because government are leaders. So just bring it in locally into your organisation. What does it mean when people trust each other more than they trust their leaders? What does that actually mean and what does that manifest like? So this was one of the discussions that we were sparking. Yeah. And then, you know, to think really about trust, what does trust actually mean? 
Is trust foundational or is it an outcome? Do you go in and trust somebody 100% straight away or is it an outcome of a relationship? You know, so, so these are the kind of ways you need to look at it because if you go into an organization so, and I'm automatically expected to trust somebody, it's difficult because we don't have that relationship. So when you're building relationships, you're getting to know each other, but you're also building trust. Yep. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so this is the other way to kind of look at it, that, that actually, you know, and some of the things that, that have kind of happened, you know, some of these iconic events that have happened, trust is found fundamental to a lot of it. Do they, tr- how do they trust the leaders making these decisions? And so when, people don't trust the leaders to make these decisions. They feel that they need to take it upon themselves to make the decisions because they don't trust. Mm-hmm. And that's why you, you, you know, you get events like what happened in the U S and the building, you know, uh, you know, people taking over the building and sitting and putting their feet up on the desk. You yeah. have things like that because it starts with the trust. We don't trust you. And then people feel, you know, they move towards privilege and advantage are they in a more advantaged position and then they move to entitlement did they feel entitled to do that because they felt privileged yeah yeah and and trust comes into that conversation as well yeah can you can you explain uh or a little bit more the difference between entitlement and privilege and how those play off of each other Especially when well, it comes to I, I think I think um, privilege. How I mean, I facilitated a discussion just yesterday around privilege, and one of the ways that I looked at it is, I mean, I know that in the UK we have the Equalities Act, um, twenty ten. There are nine protected characteristics in the Equalities Act. It, it's it's different. I'm sure there'd be similar policies and guidance in other countries. But in the UK, that's what it is. We have nine protected characteristics, and those include things like um, gender reassignment, marriage, um, pregnancy and maternity, you know, disability, etc. And some of the, some of those areas. And so, for me, when I think about privilege, for people that say, "Oh, I'm not privileged," well, actually, if we think about it in that context, I just use three or four of those examples. Does it mean that because disability for example has to be protected that if we don't have a disability we are in a position of privilege why does it need to be protected why can't it be the norm Mm -hmm. sorry do you see where i'm where i'm going So, so why does it have to be protected so why can't it be the norm and therefore if i have a if i don't have a disability i could potentially be in a position of privilege and just thinking about privilege in that kind of sense, having something that somebody doesn't have. Yeah? Yep. So, so privilege can mean an, an awful lot of things in that context. But moving to entitlement, yeah, that's something different again. And somebody brought up an example of, you know, um, uh, a celebrity that decided that, well, actually, I want this particular store to open at eight o'clock because I'm a person of privilege, you know, I'm in a position to request that this particular store open specifically for me so I can shop alone at eight o'clock. Now, does that mean that that person is entitled to that because they had that privilege? Right. 
because mm. if it was a different if it was a different um, store executive for the same store, but a different executive, they changed hands. That person might not see that they're entitled to that. Mm. So entitlement is, is slightly different. And it's about whether we take advantage of that entitlement. Yep. And in the organization, it's those things that people are at an advantage. They like that advantage. They like the privilege and they turn it to entitled. I'm entitled to do have my lunchtime at three o'clock in the afternoon when no one else is. Mm-hmm. I'm entitled. But actually, it's not an entitlement. It's a privilege that you can take advantage of or not yeah does that does that kind of clarify yeah. a bit? i mean uh, yeah, again given given the events that happened you know on january 6th that's um it's exactly what you're describing and in albeit in an extreme way but um it's something that can be very toxic it can be something that is very um uh, what is the word that I'm looking for? It, it can it can destroy a culture. It can destroy organizations and the relationships that they've built up because someone feel someone who does have that privilege feels like they are entitled to certain, Absolutely. certain things, and that um, that creates an uneven ground for different people and different groups Absolutely. and different classes, and that's something that we have to very much be aware of. Very much be aware of. I mean. Here, I'll give you, I'll give an example. I worked at a tech company and uh-huh. the engineers at this tech company came in at 10 o'clock every day versus everyone else who came in at eight. The team I was with came in at five in the morning. And so you come in at five in the morning and you're, and then these engineers stroll in with, you know, 10 o'clock, sometimes 11 still in their PJs. And then, you know, two, three hours into, into working, they are playing ping pong, foosball, like doing all these things oh, like that, you know, the, the tech bro kind of thing. Right. And so that's their, that's their privileges because they were not a, on a schedule, but B, they were really taking advantage of that, you know, what, whatever it was. So when they, when the organization decided to say, Hey, you need to start coming in at like nine to fit business hours a little bit, there was a big like uproar about it from that group. And it's like, okay, so that's entitlement that is coming yeah. forward. Because what they've done is they've moved it from a privilege to an entitlement. Because yeah. when it moves to an entitlement, that's where the power comes. That's yeah. where the ego kicks in. Yep. And and that's and there's that that's at that particular organization, you started seeing some fractures in relationships because you had different groups who were saying, well, why do you get that? And I don't. Right. And how dare you ask me to come in? Yep. Exactly. How dare you? Yep. (laughs) It was, it was, it it was something that uh, should have been. You asked me to come in earlier. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, just as we're coming up on time here, um, I want to ask one final question. What is the impact that you want to have on the people that you lead? I just want people to to kind of um, if it's if it's employees within an organization, I just want them to feel empowered. You know, know that they can be good allies and feel empowered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the one of the things that, that I'm exploring as well within some of my work is 
what is it that stops people from doing that? What stops people from being allies? What stops them? Is it fear of fear of the re- reaction? Is it fear of losing your job? Is it because we know what's right, but you also know that things aren't going right in the organisations, that, that pe- people speak up, they're going to get sacked, et cetera, et cetera, or, you know, and so it, it disempowers them. And actually organisations and, and people need to feel empowered and I know it's really difficult, but they need to feel empowered that when you go for an interview, remember, it should be a two-way process. Yeah. You're questioning whether this organization is right for you, just how they're questioning whether you're right for the organization. It's not just if they want me, I'll take it. Yes, I know that things have changed slightly with, with employment and COVID and the economy and stuff recently, but don't move away from the fact that you have something to give them and they have something to give you. And it's a two-way partnership. Yep. All right. It's not a dictatorship. It's a partnership. So just really remember that. And, and, you know, the thing for the leaders is to remember that everybody is an individual. They have their own fingerprint. They have their own DNA. So that means that they are not the same. Please remember that, that everybody learns differently a particular behavior can't be trained away. You need to understand what that behavior is and have the right application to change it. So, you know, these are the things that really start looking at people as individuals and treat them as individuals, be interested in them. Know the name of their cat, dog, (laughs) budgie. That's important, you know, that's important. And actually just take the edge off a little bit because I have so many meetings, Christopher, with people on Zoom and, oh, I'm really sorry. My daughter might come in. My husband might pop in or my cat's jumping on the back of my chair. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. It's absolutely fine. Let people relax and be people because when I say don't worry, let your daughter come in and I say hello, they're more likely to leave you alone because I've given them the stage for, for a few seconds. Mm-hmm. More likely to leave you alone. And that person automatically just relaxes into the conversation rather than feeling on edge. So, you know, just let people be. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yep. Let them be. Yeah. Keeping it real. And, and I want to leave you with one final note on that uh, from Vivian Aqua, who um, connected you and I, Tony, as yeah. Vivian said, I see Tony as my auntie who keeps it 100% real. She is a true advocate for equity and inclusion. She opens doors and creates valuable connections. When she sprinkles in her fairy dust, I think there's a theme here around fairy dust. Yeah. She sprinkles in her fairy dust like Salt Bay. You know that she is dropping some valuable wisdom. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, you're lucky. You're lucky, Christopher. You got away with... Uh... You know, I normally tell lots of stories, but I didn't tell lots of stories today were in our conversation, <laughs> but uh, normally they're, they're stories of wisdom, you know, that, uh, that I'm bringing, but um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm gonna go and thank those people that contributed to this discussion today as well. But uh, I'm very passionate about equity and inclusion and making people um, be heard and their voices because everybody matters. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, we're going to have to do a part two because uh, I have 
like you said, you have a lot of stories to share. I have a lot of things that we, you know, like I have a whole list of questions we didn't even touch. So yeah, we'll have to do a, a part two. So thank I know, you this is just like out. a little conversation, wasn't yep. it? We were just yep. getting warmed up really, yep. Chris. But it's been an absolute pleasure. So, you know, hopefully your listeners have, have kind of heard something from this, from the sharing today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leaving People First podcast. I thought it was really interesting when Tony shared the research on how we as individuals tend to trust each other more than we trust our leaders. And I love Tony's insight on privilege leading to entitlement, which then leads to having this power mentality, which was really interesting given the events that have happened here in the United States so far this year. If you liked this episode, hit that subscribe button and click the share button to send it to someone who needs to hear about Tony's work and all of the amazing things she's doing around organizational culture. Let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you learned or loved from this episode on either LinkedIn or Instagram. Thank you again for tuning in and keep leading people first and stay awesome.